All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second uh, part of our conversations on sin, conversations on the doctrine of sin. And we are here still. I'm Chris Creech. We've got Jeff Stott, and we are still here with Dr. Jeffrey Bingham, who is over at Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary, and he provided some awesome answers to our questions about kind of the nature of sin last time. What is sin? Where did it come from? What did, what effect does it have on our lives? Things like that. And um, we are looking forward to diving into some more questions with him today. So let's get to some questions here. Okay. So last time we did talk uh, about the big picture of sin and it's a um, big impact on us, where it came from, all those kind of things like Chris just mentioned. Uh, so uh, today, I think what we're going to do is we're going to hone in a little bit and ask some specific questions about sin. And so one of the questions we have is, okay, so when it comes to infants, you know, and when sin starts, you know, we, the last time we talked about the origin of sin and, you know, with Adam and Eve and the fall and all that. So uh, are infants guilty before they commit actual sins and how does sin play in with children, specifically children who, who die, you know, at one month old or something of that nature. So you got any thoughts about that? Well, it seems that the scripture does teach that uh, the sin nature, uh, the, uh, uh, the contamination of uh, what God originally created in Genesis chapter 2, a conditionally immortal uh, human uh, creature with a conditionally immortal human nature, and a nature that was characterized, uh, if we take the language at the end of Genesis chapter 1, as very good. And so humanity, uh, through the end of chapter 2, is, uh, is an immortal uh, creature, a very good, conditionally very good creature. Uh, but that all changes in Genesis chapter 3. And what we see in chapter 3 is that both immortality departs from the human creature, because they incur death. Uh, Paul teaches, right, that the, the wages of sin uh, is death, and God had uh, promised death uh, to, uh, to them if they were to eat of the tree. And so they lose their immortality and become mortal, and, of course, they lose their a conditionally righteous uh, condition as well, or at least uh, a, a nature that was uh, a nature of free will uh, that had choice to it where they would exercise righteousness until they decided to exercise unrighteousness. Well, Genesis 3 makes it clear that uh, they exercise unrighteousness. But what is characteristic of the parents in terms of what is received because of sin, mortality, and all the other effects of sin is passed 
down to them. Along with that uh, comes a, uh, a precondition towards sin. Along with that comes uh, a judgment for sin. And so even the psalmist David talks about in Psalm 51, where even uh, at conception, uh, sin is something that is associated with his very being, with his very nature. And so the simple answer is yes. Unfortunately, very sadly for the entire human race and for every parent, uh, every human child uh, is, is a recipient of the fallen, sinful nature of Adam and Eve and every human being that has been their progeny. And so they, uh, they receive a sinful nature with all of its sad effects, mortality, a proclivity towards unrighteousness. And so, yes, every child enters the world uh, with a sinful nature. So um, <clears throat> what would you tell a parent um, Okay, let me back up. <clears throat> um, several years ago, the worst funeral I ever did was uh, this couple uh, um, had a child very early. I mean, it didn't go the full nine months. Um, but uh, once the baby was born, it, it did live for about a week. Um, and, um, you know, but the baby died and uh, we had a funeral, you know, and it was, you know, it was the first time, it was the first, and I was in my 20s, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a baby coffin. And I mean, basically like a a bread box. I mean, that's what it looked like, you know. And so, um, and it was very sad, and there was a lot of unanswered questions and confusion around the whole situation. But um, what would you tell a couple a mom a dad where is their baby when you know if the baby died at a week old where did the baby go so this is a question that uh, that the church has struggled with down through the ages we talked about the reality of sin as a first part of an answer to your question what we didn't talk about was the effects of the atonement brought about by the Lord Jesus Christ upon the reality of the sin condition of humanity, which is passed down. And so what we weren't discussing just a few moments ago was the reality that it's not just that, uh, that sin is a reality. But in addition to the reality of sin, there is, thanks be to God, the atonement of Jesus Christ. The way in which Bible readers and theologians have applied the atonement accomplished by Jesus Christ to the question that we're asking of, uh, of the reality of original sin, 
in, uh, uh, in the infant. And uh, how does the atonement apply to that have been various down through the ages. So, of course, uh, in the early church, this was the reason, uh, theological reason, for infant baptism. This was why there was a strong move in the church of God towards infant baptism, because through baptism, the blessings of the atonement could be applied to the infant, whereby they would be absolved of the, uh, of the judgment that came with original sin. I'm a Baptist, so I don't uh, move in, uh, in the direction of infant baptism, but I can still understand the blessings that come with the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so what many Baptists have done is to understand that there is a measure of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ that is applied to the infant, whereby the infant is absolved of the judgment that comes by original sin, and that the forgiveness which the child then becomes needful of is the forgiveness which is applied to his or her own willful actions when they reach a certain stage of accountability. The third uh, answer is that, uh, that has been given by conservative Christians is that they don't know, but they collapse into the mercy and the compassion of a righteous, just, and yet forgiving and merciful God. Those are the three responses that have traditionally been offered uh, in the main uh, within conservative Christianity. And you'll find different pastors taking different tacks. Where, see, was it David that prayed that he would see his son again. Yeah, what, uh, yes. how does that play into any of this? Yes, this is one of the texts uh, that, is, uh, that is sometimes employed to see that there is a merciful application of the atonement, both to believers in the Old Testament and to believers in the New Testament and following uh, that is based upon uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All sins uh, of humanity, both prior to the crucifixion of Jesus and after the crucifixion of Jesus, are all based upon the complete satisfactory atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our great hope. You were mentioning, I think, at the end of our last session, that although it's very difficult to talk about the reality of sin, sin is a dark reality. It is evil. It brings unmeasured sadness and grief and brokenness to the world. But on the other hand, thanks be to God, we have the atonement uh, which has been given to us and provided for us through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this looks now, of course, all the better uh, because of the sadness and darkness uh, that sin uh, leaves us in. Well, I will, um, man, I'll tell you what, I, I do like uh, that little phrase in the Bible that says, you know, grace is greater than our sin, you know? And um, I mean, preachers say that a lot. I say it a lot. And, uh, but I, I don't think we fully understand the depth and power of that, what's behind that statement uh, when God is truly saying it to us. And, uh, you know, again, when you understand how bad sin is, and how great grace is. Uh, and then, you know, he also says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, you know? Yes. And so, um, uh, anyway, he's a good God. And I do agree. Chris, any follow up on the, on that particular subject? Yeah. Um, working with kids, I also often work with young parents and, and, you know, we've seen the, the parents come in. I was actually telling Jeff when he came up with this question years back, um, had a young parent that had a miscarriage um, and someone sent her an article where the um, person that wrote the article basically said, you know, there's no denying it. We're all born with a sin nature. Your baby's in hell. And um, just an incredible amount of pain for this woman. And so, I mean, you know, I believe that, um, that that's just not true, that um, that baby did not, was not able to make a decision. So, so God's grace was on them. Um, obviously, uh, the only scripture I can, I can recall right now that kind of brings me to that, there are, there are a few more, but is David saying, you know, I will see my baby again. Um, but, you know, being able to to kind of bring that onto a parent and say, God's grace is huge. God grace, God's grace covers a lot of things and, and God's grace covers all of our sins is a, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it, but it's a, it's a comfort in those times for parents that have, have lost children. So. Yes. And, well, and, and, and to focus upon this amazing reach right. of the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only satisfactory center uh, for any hope that we have for the forgiveness for anyone. Right. And we were, yeah, we were also able to talk about, you know, just to put it very bluntly, how horrible it is to send someone an article like that in the wake of a, of a devastating loss. So, yes. Well, yeah, and, uh... <laughs> why would you do this? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, why would you do that? What's mm -hmm. the point of that? You know, right. Um, you know, and I think, I think one, uh, another element that makes this question difficult is that, you know, when you see a newborn baby, I mean, you don't see, you don't see sin. I mean, you, you, most people hold a baby and they think of hope future opportunity, you know, and, and there's this, you know, and as a, uh, and as a parent and a grandparent and, um, you know, you, you know, you don't, you see the evidence of sin later on when they start saying no mine and <laughs> crying over this and whining over that. But, um, but man, when it's a weak old baby, you know, it's, uh, you know, or even a stillborn, um, it's, um, 
there's a lot of emotion with that. And it's, uh, and it's hard to say, yes, this baby has a sin nature and is under the judgment of God, but because of his grace, because of Christ, because of his mercy, um, you know, that will triumph over the child rather than the sin. So, um, you know, but it's, it's emotionally, it's hard to, to say, you know, when you look at that a little bit, it's, you know, and I mean, just talking to parents, I mean, they just, they don't want to go down that road because this is a sweet, you know, they're, they're grieving and, and I just can't imagine somebody sending that email. That's just, that's nuts, man. Um, okay. Let's, uh, uh, let's move on here. So, all right. We've been talking a lot about sin and, um, so are there degrees of sin? Are some sins worse than others? How does, you know, from God's perspective, from a human perspective, you know, is, um, are there certain sins that it's okay for me to get away with? And there are certain sins that I should really stay away from, you know, that kind of thing. What's your thoughts on that? Well, the scripture certainly uh, talks about uh, different sins having different effects. Some sins, uh, at least to our understanding, have effects only upon the person who commits them. They don't, they don't have larger societal effects. Some sins have great societal effects and involve, uh, uh, involve negative effects upon large portions of society, a, a family, to a community, to a nation, to a world. Um, but let's return to our definition of sin in our first session. Sin is anything that falls short of the righteousness of God. It's anything that falls short of the holiness and glory of God. And so anything that does not measure up to his glory, anything that does not measure up to his level of righteousness is sin, is sin is sin. Sins can have different effects. Sins can be internal and sins can be external. Uh, the Lord Jesus makes this very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, a person can, uh, can feel anger towards another person, never exercise that anger towards that person, he may want to murder that person in his heart, but never actually plunges the knife into that other person. But the failure to plunge the knife is not the absence of sin. Because the Lord Jesus says that the desire to murder is as good as committing the act. The same with lust. Anyone who lusts has committed adultery. Uh, in his heart. And so sins can be internal or sins can have external activity associated with them. Both in the mind and the words of the Lord Jesus are the same. And so we, we don't find a, 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 an ability to, uh, to absolve uh, ourselves from a serious sin because it was internal rather than external. The, the effect may be different. The effect may be more widespread as we're able to judge. But 
the sinfulness of the sin is the same. They can have different effects. Uh, they can be internal or external. Uh, but anything that falls short of the glory and righteousness of God is sin. Chris, you got anything? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't know. We were kind of just looking for each other there, but no, I've um, I've had the same question. I mean, uh, pastors, uh, professors, Sunday school teachers, Doctor Bingham. It's um, you're gonna get that question, and and to some degree, I I have to say, yes, there can be varying degrees of sin by human standards, because obviously, I think someone would rather me lie to them than murder them, but they do you're right they do all have the same effect and I, again i'll go back to kids ministry the discussion i've had with them is there is no there is no halfway separated from god there is no you know i'm only a little bit separated from god no we are fully separated from god by our sin nature and so therefore in that vein all sin has uh, has the same consequence and that's separation from god while again by human standards, there are some things I would rather you do than other things, but that's not by God's standards. Uh, God's standards are very, very different than ours. Yeah, you know, just as a pastor, um, um, over the years of in talking about this with others and counseling and stuff, and it's almost like sin for them is like there's this huge gulf between them and God, but 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 the gulf is not that far, you know what I'm saying, for them because they haven't committed the really bad sins yet. And, and, and again, it goes back to understanding what sin is. I mean, is it this or is it this, you know? And so, uh, uh, and I think sometimes people just will place, they, they place themselves and others in a category based on their degrees of sin that they, created in their mind you know that person is really bad because they've done this and this that person's not that bad because well they've only done this and this and so but from god's perspective that's very very common in marriages yes oh yeah uh, a husband is uh is scandalized uh when his wife does x because in some way uh that has always been the way he has been. He, he sees some of the things in her life as completely unacceptable. But he doesn't see the things in his own life the same way. She might. But the reality is that both my wife and I, both Pamela and me, are equally before God fallen and we both bring to our marriage corrupt natures and corrupting natures and so one of the great secrets to moving forward in a christian marriage is to simply recognize that uh, your mate uh, doesn't possess a wickedness or an evil that you don't. 
They may affect you in different ways. You may affect them in different ways. But your standing before God is the same. Your corruption is the same. And your potential to corrupt is the same. It's very, very hard uh, for a marriage to move forward in a healthy way until we get past uh, that mountain. You know, and I think one of the, I don't know, implications of all this or difficulties of all this is helping people, okay, and specifically Christians, helping Christians understand that they have to relate to people who are sinners every day. They married a sinner. They are a sinner. They're going to have children who are sinners. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's, um, I mean, when the Bible talks about, you know, loving one another and allowing for each other's faults and forgiving one another, but that's, that's all sin talk. You're talking about because there's sin. And, uh, and it seems like Christians, and I'm speaking of Christians because, you know, we're supposed to be the ones who are reading the Bible and, you know, and, and learning it and applying it and following Jesus. And um, it seems like Christians seem to, we seem to really struggle and get mad when we find out that person's a sinner, <laughs> you know, when they, when they sin. And I know it can be offensive, and I get I get that. And um, uh, but we just don't seem to handle other people's sin very well when we bump up against. Them. Uh, no, we don't like to be sinned against. No, right. no. We we give ourselves great room to sin, but we give uh, we give no room uh, to the sin of others. And uh, this is, of course, where forgiveness comes in. And on the other hand, it's where the virtue of confession comes in. As I read the Bible, more and more I come to believe that confession is perhaps one of the greatest demonstrations of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit mm. and of the reality of progressive sanctification. Mm. The supernaturally brought about ability of a corrupt and corrupting sinner to say, I have sinned, and to demonstrate integrity in that act. It brings refreshment upon me that is almost inexplicable, because I see so little of it. Uh, I, I, I see so much lack of integrity within conservative Christianity and within the broader secular world, that when a Christian actually confronts me with confession, it is, it is a breath of fresh air that I so rarely get to breathe in. This happens occasionally in, uh, in Christian academics. Uh, students are... Uh, are sinners like everybody else. And occasionally a student will, will not be forthcoming in the way in which he or she reports the fulfillment of a, uh, of a requirement in the syllabus. And over the years, I have had several students who weeks, months, sometimes even years later, will contact me and let me know that they 
wrote a paper which was plagiarized and I didn't catch it, or they reported the completion of a standard that wasn't in an honest reflection of what they had actually done. And they, they, they frequently uh, call with great trepidation and fear. But you know, whenever a student does that, it brings about in my heart the recognition that yes, they join me in my sin and sin surrounds us. But the joy that comes with the confession, the amazement that comes with the fruit of the Spirit that has brought about this extremely difficult admission is, is always a, an occasion in which I praise God and experience uh, the mercy of God to actually bring about sanctification. That's mm. why I think 1 John chapter 1 is so important. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. And the man who says he has no sin is a liar. And how can the truth be in him? And so more and more, uh, one of the greatest demonstrations of the indwelling of the Spirit, of the actuality of conversion, uh, of, of the truthfulness that someone is a real Christian, is the presence of confession. Hmm. You know, one of the things I like to do, um, and um, I wish... Okay, my wife, she can talk theology, but she doesn't like to talk a lot of, you know, she's, eh, you know, she's Pam, I'm Jeff, you know, we're two different people. And, uh, but one of the things I, I, I like to do, and I would love to have a class like this, uh, or offer some kind of life group or something with this, and that is to watch movies, and then, you know, then talk about what theological questions came out of that movie, what you know, and just have a theological conversation about what, and the movie's an object lesson, obviously. I love that idea. Yeah, I do too. I love it. And because, you know, we're such in the visual world right now. And, and also, I think it would help people be able to evaluate what they see in here theologically. You know, it's kind of a training process. But uh, there is this one movie, and I saw years ago, um, I just stumbled across it. It was at a public library. And we were just walking around getting some stuff at the library. And I saw this and I thought, oh, this is interesting. What is, this? I've never seen this one. And it was called Three. And uh, um, and it's about, and, and what triggered this is something you said about seminary students. It's about a seminary student who is struggling with his old nature and new nature. And now it's a dark movie. Okay, I mean, it's, you know, it's, dark and um and so you know in case somebody wants if they're watching this they're gonna watch, i'm not gonna give anything away but uh but it's the whole movie is about sin and his struggle with it wow. and um and there's a reason why it's called three but anyway um uh but we all struggle with that sin in our life you know there's there's this tug of war it feels like a tug of war going on inside of us between right and wrong and um uh but that's that battle with that 
with sin. That's what's, that's what's going on there. And confession, um, you know, is, and, and at the end of the movie, the guy, you know, there's a, a major confessional moment for him, you know, with some people and, uh, that he has to admit to some stuff, but, um, uh, but it's, it's powerful all the way through. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, uh, any questions from you, Chris, on any of that? Okay, so uh, how much time we got? About five minutes. Okay, so, all right, let's talk about this then. Okay, we've been talking about sin, and it's been dark, and it's about evil. It's, we, you know, if you've been with us for the last episode and this one, you're now convinced that you are a sinner, <laughs> that you're broken, you're evil, your life's miserable, you know, judgments on the way. I mean, it's, it's bad news all the way around on this. So how can a person be forgiven of these sins? How are these sins removed from us? How, how can the guilt be taken away? This goes back to the hope of every parent, as we were discussing before. Uh, the sins their children, the future of their children, uh, the uh, the forgiveness of their children, the separation of their children from the effect of original sin is not something that comes by magic. It, it's not something that got out of, of the dust of the universe and sprinkles it. It's based entirely, completely, utterly upon the act of Jesus Christ, whereby he gave himself over willingly to crucifixion, a most humiliating death, and thereby accomplished atonement uh, for the sins of the world. And uh, this is the good news, because what atonement does is it provides the basis for the forgiveness of sins. This is not a concept that is introduced in the New Testament. This is a concept that is introduced in the entire uh, existence of Israel and of blood sacrifices, and, and, and that is culminized in the teaching uh, that comes so, uh, so helpfully in the book of Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so the hope of every human being is on the act of Jesus Christ, uh, where he willingly, selflessly gives him over himself over to crucifixion. And in his death, God the Father receives a payment which is totally satisfying uh, for the forgiveness of all the sins in all the world throughout all of history. And so uh, these, are, uh, these are promises that, that overflow in the New Testament, the promise of the forgiveness of sins. We see it, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 1. The two blessings that come as an immediate benefit of the atonement is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. These two are paired together. 
The moment that someone believes and looks to the cross, looks to the crucified Jesus, and, uh, and utters the words to the Father that I believe that your son's death was completely atoning for my evil, uh, at that instant, uh, that person receives the indwelling of the Spirit and the forgiveness of sins, an inward washing uh, that is symbolized uh, in, uh, in baptism for us, uh, Baptists. And uh, so this is the marvelous news. Whether you're a parent, uh, whether you're a college student or a seminary student who is struggling uh, with uh, the progression uh, of sanctification that sometimes seems so dreadfully and disappointingly slow to a couple in a marriage that is at each other's throats, uh, the hope for all of these realities of sin is the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. You know, um, when I, okay, I think I mentioned a couple of episodes back, uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't raised in church. And when, um, when my mom got saved, started dragging me to church, you know, I was a, they started going to church when I was like a teenager or so, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, somewhere in there, uh, I realized I was a sinner, didn't understand all that. I just knew that I had a sin problem. And the only way I could experience forgiveness was through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and the resurrection. And, and so anyway, um, and didn't even understand all that. I just knew that Jesus had to forgive me of my sins. <laughs> I mean, I knew very little. And uh, I remember when I, I, and it was a little country church and I went up to the pastor uh, after the service and I said, uh, he said, hey, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I said, I I'd like to get saved, you know, and again, didn't really know what that meant. Just knew if I died, I was going to go to hell. I mean, I just really what it was. And um, uh, anyway, he said, well, let's talk about it. So we talked about it. And, and so I said, a I said a prayer and asked God to forgive me my sins and Jesus be the Lord of my life. You know, that traditional, that prayer thing. And, um, uh, but that night I remember going to bed and I was laying in bed and I remember for, I mean, literally for the first time I was not afraid to die, but it was because my sins had been forgiven. Wow. And, and, uh, wow. yeah, because I mean, I knew that much, you know what I'm saying? And there was a, uh, and it all happened just because of this for thing called forgiveness that God offers. And, you know, and it is so difficult to express what the reality of the forgiveness of sins does to a person that has not experienced it. I mean, words cannot express it, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and as a, as a preacher, you know, um, you try to, you know, communicate the best you can, but, you know, <laughs> you just don't, it doesn't make any sense until you, until you experience it. That's just the bottom line. And so, uh, um, good stuff. Um, okay. So for those who are listening, um, uh, I do want to remind you that, uh, some of you already know about, uh, my website called truthappliedjs.com. 
uh, on that website, uh, there is an article called The Forgiveness of Sins. If you want to read a little bit more, it just goes into the who, what, when, where, and whys of you know some basic questions about forgiveness in the Bible and uh, why we need it and all that kind of stuff and, and how is it, it applied. And so if you want to explore more of it based on what Dr. Bingham uh, has uh, said today, I would encourage you to go there and, uh, and check that out. All right, Chris, you got anything else? No, I think that was great. We've really appreciated having Dr. Bingham here again. Um, yeah, it I've has been lots a, of compliments. Yeah, and um, it has been a joy to have you, uh, Dr. Bingham. You are easy to talk to, and you're very easy to listen to. And um, and so, and you are very articulate in what you say, and very precise in your answers. And uh, uh, we enjoy that, and the folks seem to be enjoying it as well. And uh, uh, and I am honored th that you have taken the time twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, actually four times, I guess, when you add it all up, four times to do four episodes with us. And because uh, uh, I'm sure you've got other things on your plate <laughs> besides talking to Justin and Chris Creech <laughs> in Mexico, Missouri. But uh, we do appreciate that. And um, and and maybe our, our paths can cross again and we'll pick your brain on, on some other subjects down the road. All right. Well, it's been my joy to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity to join you. It's been uh, it's been a great uh, a great time in the Lord uh, with you. I pray the blessings of, uh, of the Lord upon Genesis Church and upon the two of you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right, Chris. All right, guys. Well, we will see you guys next week.